guys. I'm Dee Dee West. And I'm Summer Kinsey. And this is Broken Limelight. So today I just decided to have a guest just because I never know if I want to have banter with another person. So I guess we'll find out. Summer is an esthetician. Is that how you say that? Yes. English is my second language. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I actually met her through, I got a Brazilian wax. That was my first time meeting you now that I yeah. think of it. Before we get into today's case, happy Halloween, motherfuckers. Happy Halloween. So today is also the anniversary Today is also the anniversary of the death of River Phoenix. So that's who we're going to be talking about today. So River Phoenix, as you may know, he is the older brother of Joaquin Phoenix. His parents were John and Arlen Bottom. They met in California during the era of free love while Arlen was hitchhiking, and they fell in love and they got married in 1969. And they basically like traveled across the country like in search of something they were like like the ultimate hippies like exactly <laughs> exactly what you would picture they just were like um drifters basically so they fell in love they got married and they had their little boy they named him river jude phoenix oh no i'm sorry river jude bottom their last name was bottom at the time and he was born on august 23rd 1970 so like i said the family were drifters they lived all over the country, they met in California, they traveled to Oregon and to Texas, and eventually they joined the Children of God cult when River was only three years old. Oh, wow. So the Children of God was a religious group that was also very hippie in nature, but they were well known for their, like, beyond questionable morals. They they were religious. Like, I mean, they were like a... They were like they had Christian roots, but they also were hippies. So they spread me- they spread messages of like spiritual revolution and happiness and free love, and it was like loosely based on some Christian principles. So there's a lot more that goes into their beliefs, but like I'll let you look into that because it's a lot. But you can imagine why like people who were religious but looking for that sort of freedom would kind of fall into this group, you know? Right. That's like exactly what they were looking for. Right. And they probably didn't know at that time that it was like a cult. No, exactly. To them, like this guy, like he was uh, innovative, you know, he had this great idea. And like these people were raised with like strictly religious parents. And this guy was telling them like you can be loved by Christ and love each other, you know, like straight up. Like that's (laughs) what it was. So the leader of the cult was named David Berg and they believed him to be a prophet. And he was like this ugly, gross old guy. They called him Father David or Moses. Eventually, they started calling him just Mo. I, I know his, his name was his name was David. <laughs> um, so their beliefs began to include things like sharing sexual partners, and eventually, they started having sexual relationships with their children. Oh, in the sixties and the seventies, a lot of people started looking at sex as this like spiritual experience that should be embraced, and I think that David Berg took advantage of that and he kind of expanded on that to include his own beliefs uh pedophilia yeah exactly because so sex was considered to be like a form of love it was like a spiritual thing to them and to them it was like a way to get closer to god the belief of this particular cult was that children should enjoy sex just as much as adults and they truly pushed the idea that they could build healthy sexual relationships with children even children who they were related to okay going to peak yeah so like Obviously, this is completely, like, absurd, but this, this, this was, like, an international cult. Like, so let me get into it. So parents were encouraged to have sex with each other while their children were in bed with them. And children were, children were supposed to be initiated into sexual acts by the age of four. Oh, my God. 
And this cult has like a really messed up history. So David Burke actually had a son. They try to use him like as an example of how to raise a healthy child with a sexual relationship. And they kept a journal that was more like a guidebook that explicitly details the sexual relationship between this little boy and multiple adults in the cult. Oh, that hurts my heart. Well, this little boy ended up growing up and murdering one of the nannies who abused him, and then he killed himself. And if you want to research that case, his name is Ricky Rodriguez. The book about raising him was called The Story of Davidito. That's like Davidito, like Little David in Spanish. So his name was Ricky, but it it was just, you know, there was a father-son thing, and he wasn't even David's son. He was, so David married this lady named Karen it wasn't Berg. What, I can't remember what it is now. It starts with a Z. I got to look it up. Okay, so I looked it up, and her name is Karen Zerby. So she was married to David Berg, and but of course they were all, like, wife-swapping. So she was impregnated by somebody else, and Ricky was their son. So David, like, raised him as his own son, but they weren't actually, you know, they weren't actually related. Right. But in his eyes, they, they were. Yeah. yeah, this was his little boy, and he was raising him, and he was, you know, he was the son of the prophet, basically. Right. You know? He was a... Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, crazy. yeah, yeah. This isn't this crazy. And fucking, and the Phoenix family joined this cult. So obviously they didn't know they didn't know that this was going on. But um, I mean, when when is the like good time to introduce the fact that like that's what they do? <laughs> you know? No, exactly. And that's the thing. Like it didn't start out like that. It started off like kind of like Charles Manson did the same thing, you know, he was bringing people together with love and music. Right, that's you know exactly what, I mean? what I've been thinking of this whole time. Exactly, but that's a lot of, that's a cult personality thing, you know what I mean? Like, in this era, the, the 60s and the 70s, like, you know how many fucking cults that were going on that were picking up drifters who were just, like, looking for love, you know? Like, yeah. that's exactly what it was. I mean, like, I totally get it, like, wanting a family of, like, love and acceptance, but it's, like, this weird thing around sex and kids a lot of times. Yeah, it just makes yeah, sense. exactly. Older. And, um, and that was the thing. So Ricky Rodriguez, actually, he he had a really messed up life. Um, and like I said, the story of Davidito, or it's also known as the Davidito book. I'm pretty sure it's a, ba- it's a banned book mm-hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. But um, it details a lot. And I guess they started abusing him as young as 18 months. Um, and if you look up videos of Ricky Rodriguez the night before he commits the murder-suicide... It's really interesting the way that he speaks because um, the children in this cult didn't go to school and they weren't really socialized. They were supposedly homeschooled, but for the most part, they had no real education. So they know people know how like in these videos, Ricky kind of sounds like a tough guy, like maybe he's mimicking a bad guy or a vigilante from a movie. Oh, OK. That makes sense. Yeah. And a lot of people say that it's, you know, it's likely because all he knows is from movies, you know, yeah. and these tough guy movies, you know. I don't know, though. One of these fuckers to the head. I don't think there's going to be much time to feel anything. Might hurt for a split second, but... Certainly no more than cutting your wrist. Let's hope I don't fuck up and do something stupid and blow my nose off instead of my fucking head. Anyway... Maybe fate will smile on me. The god of war. The god of revenge. Maybe they will grant me happy hunting. We shall see. 
So, well, yeah, and that he ended up growing up and committing this murder-suicide, you know? So, like, you have to, yeah, this poor kid. Um, so, yeah, people think that movies were, like, his only real window into how, into the outside world and how people actually talk. Right. Um, and he was only, like, 19 when this happened, so I think he was only out of the cult for, like, four or five years. So he did end up getting out of the cult? He did, but he obviously, you know, didn't. He was so, yeah. like, brainwashed. He went back and looked for his nanny. Um, so children started being initiated into sex acts at the age of four. One survivor said that when she was abused at four years old and she complained, her aggressor said that, quote, she must have had a demon inside because sex was love and love was what God wanted them to show each other. Yeah, you're the demon. Yeah, like aside from the fucking trauma that is the sex, sex abuse, like can you imagine being told that something's wrong with you and you have a demon in you? Yeah, like because you don't like it, like yeah. these poor kids traumatized. Yeah, they're four, like they're babies, you know. I can't even, my daughter is five. Yeah, exactly. I... My son too, and that fucking—that's <sighs> exactly what I think about. It seems like John and Arlen Bonham were aware of the pedophilia aspect of the cult. They were just into like the hippie love and the freedom kind of aspects, and it—it it was being introduced slowly. So. The Children of God stationed them to live in Venezuela to work as missionaries and fruit gatherers. So, like I said, they were an international cult. And when the talk about the sex abuse and stuff started coming out, he kind of went into hiding. And this is when he started going by Moses. And he would send out these newsletters that he called the Mo Letters. And this was how he would communicate with the members all over the world. So, like, word got out that he was involved with pedophilia Mm -hmm. and okay that's crazy yeah like little by little and i think some of his members still didn't know because like i said like some of them were living in like third world countries and this was like the 60s and 70s right but he was starting to get like looked at so he was starting to like travel internationally and kind of hide out yeah that reminds me of the other cult that was in um what what was that they all killed themselves they happened a few times Waco? No, that... They were in another country. Um, oh, yeah. I want to say it was, like, Ecuador or Peru or something yeah. like that. So he, like, kept all of his followers, like, under wraps. And everybody was, like, Yes, I forgot all about that. People. Yeah, that sounds really similar. These fucking cult fucking stories. So, um, yeah, so David Berg basically, like, went off the grid and nobody really knew where he was. And he just kept in contact with the cult through the Mo Letters. John and Arlen were completely dedicated to the children of God, and when they found out what was happening, it was actually really, like, heartbreaking for them. They were so, like, involved with the cult that they actually designated John the Archbishop of Venezuela. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, John and Arlen went on and had four more kids throughout the years, after River was Rain, then Joaquin, Liberty, and later on, Summer. Oh. (laughs) Um, so by the time River was just five years old, he and his sister Rain had to go out and busk to afford food for the family. River would play guitar and they would both sing songs in the streets, but if he didn't bring home enough loose change that day, the family wouldn't be able to eat. So it was a lot of weight to put on a really small kid. Yeah. Um, in the 70s, the the Children of God cult started a form of recruiting called flirty fishing, where they would have the females kind of go out and pick up men and like flirt or have sex with them to quote, show God's love and mercy, and get them to join the cult. Hmm. Before the family managed to get out of the cult, River was sexually abused at four years old. And there's not a lot of information out there about this. It seems like his friends and family don't want to talk about it. 
He's briefly spoken about it publicly. So was it with his parents or was it with... No, no, no. It sounds like maybe his parents found out about this and that was one of the reasons they left. Um, It's interesting. Like, I, 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 I don't know much about the parents. Like, it seems like everybody's kept quiet about this case. Like... River might have spoken about it to a few people he was close to, but even they have, like, kept secrets for him, you know? Like, it's something that even people have respected and kept quiet about. So one thing that I do find interesting is, like, did you listen to the Corey Feldman and Corey Haim episode? Yeah. So I was talking about how all the kids their age went to Alfie Alfie Soda Pop Club. Like, even Alfonso Ribeiro, like, like, all these kids, all these even good kids were hanging out there at that time. But it doesn't seem like River Phoenix was there, from what I can gather. And I and I feel like one of the big differences with all those kids is that he had parents that loved him. Right, you know? and wanted to know where he was. Exactly. Because like I said about like um, some of the other kids, like Alfonso Ribeiro, like, their parents were like, you can't go there anymore. Right. Exactly. So I kind of feel like maybe there's a reason River Phoenix didn't go. Um, and poor Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, like nobody was watching them. Those poor boys. I know. But... Like, unfortunately, River had his demons, too. He has told Ellie Weekly that the cult was a traumatic time for him, and after blocking out this, the experience that he was sexually assaulted, he he has said, quote, likely as one way to try to erase the horrible memories, he was completely celibate from ages 10 to 14. As one should be. Well, I think it's interesting to use words like celibate. And he also said he, quote, lost his virginity at four. And and these aren't phrases for children, you know? No. Like, do you, you, you're you not celibate. Like, you right. shouldn't be celibate. You know, you should. I wonder if he also means, like, masturbation. I'm, I'm sure that is what he means. Because, I mean, Maybe like, you start that at an early age, too, you know, when, I don't know. Yeah, when you're sexually assaulted. Yeah. Or just in general, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. When you're intro- you're sexualized at a young age, you know? Like, you start, sometimes you start doing that early. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the word got out about flirty fishing and also the word about the sex abuse, that's when the Phoenix family decided to leave the cult. The family started to see that the directions that they were being given by the children of God and the things that were being preached were directly at odds with what they believed and what they were reading at the Bible. Right. So they did, like, consciously make this decision that, like, this wasn't right and they had to get out of there. Right. Um, And Arlen was, like, really hurt about it because she was deeply religious and spiritual and they were missionaries. Like, they had dedicated their life to spreading the word of God. Right. And then they find out that they're being fooled. Exactly. So... As you can probably imagine, leaving a cult isn't easy. And they had no money, and they're in fucking Venezuela. Like, they have nobody. And they have five kids. No, they have four kids at this point. And Arlen's pregnant with Summer at this point. Oh, wow. Are they, do they speak the language? Oh, yeah. I think, well, I think they, they're, they were like drifters. I don't think they were Latino, but I think they picked it up from living there. How long were they there in total? I I think it was three years in Venezuela. And I, I hear that they also, like, traveled to Mexico and, like, a couple places. But they lived, they were stationed in Venezuela for about three years. And like I said, like, River was basically responsible for, like, going out and busking for the family. Right. So, since they had no money, they went to a pastor named Stephen Wood. And he was a friend of the Children of God, so they trusted him. And they told him that they were trying to leave the cult and they needed his help. So, he gave them room and board while they tried to find a way to get back to the United States. 
In exchange, River and Rain would perform Christian songs for the church's Sunday service. One of the more popular songs they sang was You've Got to Be a Baby, and River would sing it not just in English and Spanish, but also in French, Japanese, and Swahili. Okay. Yeah, this was a little boy. Um, so after about four months, Stephen was able to get them on a cargo ship that was taking a shipment of Tonka toys to Florida. So they had to, like, sneak on this ship. And Rain recalled to the Guardian that the family watched a group of fishermen thrashing fish against some nails sticking out of the side of the boat. And that was actually, like, the most traumatizing part of the of the trip. And that inspired the whole family to go vegan. That's crazy. Was that just to kill them or yeah. fun? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, like, part of uh, fishing when they, like, get a bunch of fish like that. They just, like... They kill a bunch of them. It's really awful. Oh my God. I gotta I show you a book about that. Drowned in air. No, there's a lot of different methods. Um, sometimes they like electrocute a bunch of them. Like they put like yeah, like a shit ton. Like there's a lot of ways. It's really fucked up. And a lot of times, like if they wanna, like I read like this crazy statistic that like for one can of tuna, there's like 200 species of animals that are just like thrown back into the ocean after they're killed because like because they get caught needed. in the net. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that, that, that ridiculous for like one little can of tuna? So anyway, I'm not here to talk about that. <laughs> I mean, but triggering. True crime of eating animals. <laughs> yeah, whale wars up in here. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, the family was vegan, and that, that's one, like, interesting thing about, like, River was known as kind of, like, a good boy. Like, he was raised, like, as this really, like, spiritual, kind hippie, you know? Yeah. Like, he was really loving, and, like, he was known as, like, the best big brother, which you can imagine, like, growing up, like, this supporting everybody, and he probably felt protective, like, with his siblings being born while they were in this cult yeah and he also has like the responsibility of helping to take care of them exactly and feed them yeah oh so um after after they left the cult they almost never discussed the children of god but rivers river's mother did quote him as saying they're disgusting they're ruining people's lives uh true and by the way this cult still exists they've rebranded a few times so it's now called the family international and they don't publicly condone sex sex abuse of children anymore but the leader of the cult is karen zerby that was the wife of david berg because david berg died so karen zerby took over and that's the mother of ricky rodriguez so i i don't know if you want to believe something's changed right 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 (laughs) right the mom of this little boy wrote this fucking book participated in this book so all of a sudden she's not a pedophile and didn't i know they're just not saying it publicly you know they probably can't be a church and like like, this bitch should be in jail oh my god yeah so yeah if you want to look into that it's now called the family international and they're super inner okay so there's a fun fact um Rose McGowan was also in the cult as a child and also um i can't remember his name he was a, his name, his first name was Jeremy, and he was the guitarist in Fleetwood Mac. He, like, <laughs> ditched the band one day, like, left his wife and children, and, like, joined the cult, gave him his last $200, and, like, cut his hair, and was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God now. I'm a pedophile now. Yeah, and this was, like, around the same times, like, in the, in, like, the late 80s, I want to say. And he's saying, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry. Why are you barking? <laughs> Okay, I'm so sorry. My mom came home and all the kids got excited and the dog barked and we got scared. Real scared. So I'm sorry if there's background noise now. So at this point, um, the family had four kids and Arlen was pregnant with Summer. And this was when the family decided to change their last name from Bottom to Phoenix to symbolize their new beginning. That is beautiful. Because they were at the bottom and now they're a Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, that is really um, 
symbolic. Like, and Arlen changed her name to Hart at this point. Um, when they got to the United States, it was like a total culture shock. They stayed with Arlen's parents for a, a small time in Florida. And here, River and Rain continue to play money, or continue to play music for money. Rain called her brother a bit of a guitar prodigy and said that he spent a lot of time singing around the fire after dinner and making little four track demos in their room. And when they would be at people's houses, they would just break out the guitar and start singing. Aww. That just sounds adorable to me, it a little does, brother sister so- band. I want, so I want my kids to form a band. That'd be awesome. <laughs> so the family ended up in Los Angeles by the time River was nine. There, River and his siblings were spotted by a talent agent named Iris Burton while they were busking on a street corner. Arlen got a job in a talent agency as a secretary, and she had the kids audition for everything. John seems like he didn't like his kids in show business. He just, I don't know, he wasn't very enthusiastic about it, but... Arlen was, like, all about it. Maybe he was scared. Well, he also apparently was, like, an alcoholic at this point, and I think he just kind of started to become distant from everything. Yeah, way too much distance. And I'm also thinking that, you know, and maybe he was kind of feeling guilty that the kids were going to have careers and he couldn't fucking make money. Oh, yeah, while he's sitting home drinking. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of like, I don't know, that's happened before. I don't want to, I'm not here to trash him, though. Um. (laughs) We're, We're not here for that. So when River appeared in Stand By Me, he pretty much became a teen heartthrob overnight, and he started receiving thousands of letters and fan mail. And that role really just thrust him into the spotlight. It didn't take him long at all to become an A-list actor. It's said that he was spectacular, even from a really young age, and it usually didn't take him more than one take for him to get it right. Corey Feldman also talks about how incredible he was in Stand By Me and his dramatic scenes, even enough to impress Corey, who was also said to have been a really incredible young actor. The family was loving and close, but John, like I said, was kind of complicated. And from a really young age, River kind of felt like him and not his father had to support the family. Yeah. Rob Reiner, who directed Stand By Me, he noted that the family was close, but something was off about John. He said that he thought he was an alcoholic or something and that he and River didn't really connect. And that's pretty bad if, like, people who are on the outside can see that dynamic. Yeah, like, how do, like, if people on the outside can tell that your dad's a drunk, like, that's hard. Yeah, that's pretty bad. In 1991, River formed the band Alaka's Attic. He was really, really passionate about music, more so than acting, even. And he was really determined to make good music. The hard part was that people wanted to see the band play just because River Phoenix was in the band. He wanted them to like the band because the music was good. When they had gigs, they tried not to use his name, but the word got around pretty easily that it was indeed River Phoenix's band. Hmm. So that was tough on him. Like, he never got the recognition he wanted just for his music. Right. It's like, I want you to love me for me, not for who I am. He, he wanted to be really tal- He wanted to be like a like a, a masterpiece, you know? Yeah. He could have been Buckethead. What? Buckethead? Do you know who that is? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> never never mind. Google, Google it. it. <laughs> okay, I'll Google it. River Phoenix starred in a movie called My Own Private Idaho, and that movie featured a song by Alaka's Attic. In that movie, River met William Richer, and they became really close friends. Some people say that River even saw William as a father figure. William has spoken out a lot about River's death. For one, he hates that people call him a drug addict, because in his perspective, River just dabbled with drugs, but he wasn't a low-down, complete addict. So he's, like, probably partied a little bit. Yeah, in this guy's perspective, he was never, like, I don't know, in the hole, you know? He wasn't, right. like, uh, He did rock poke bottom. on Saturdays sometimes. 
Yeah, like he always <laughs> popped back up. Yeah, yeah I don't he's know. Good. He's good. So in 1992, River Phoenix was cast in the movie The Thing Called Love, where he met the actress Samantha Mathis. Samantha Mathis was dating John Leguizamo at the time, but she broke things off with him and started dating River. Samantha recalled that River once told her that he had to make just one more big film so that he could put away enough money to send, so he could put away enough money to send his younger sister to college. Aww, I know. Summer. Yeah. I love her. I know. I just. Can you imagine this guy thinking about his baby sister like he knows his dad's not going to do it, like his parents aren't going to do it? Anyway. At least he has the means to, because I'm sure he would feel worse if he didn't have the money to, yeah. to help his family. Yeah. Poor guy. Okay, so before I get into the events of October 30th and the early hours of October 31st, I want to say something. If I say something that anybody thinks is wrong or inaccurate, just give me a second, because there's a lot of different accounts of this night, including eyewitness accounts and what the investigators have said, and a lot of the witnesses in the reports contradict each other. So let me tell you all of the things. I promise I look into this stuff deeply. But when the witnesses are people like Johnny Depp and Joaquin Phoenix and Samantha Mathis and the Red Hot Chili Pepper Band members, I feel like it's really unfair not to include somebody's statement or, like, invalidate it. True, very true. Like, yeah, like, we don't know if people are being untruthful or just remember things differently or simply had completely different perspectives of what happened. So I'm going to tell you all the versions of that night that seem to be relevant. It's well known that River Phoenix was a heroin and cocaine user. However, exactly how heavy of a user is debatable. Like I said, William Richard is a close friend and he says that he just dabbled. His family and friends also said that he wasn't an addict. And in their defense, he wasn't using on and off and it seems like maybe he only turned to drugs when he was going through an especially dark time. One thing I will say is I've had friends who were addicted to drugs and sometimes they can get really good at hiding it. Yeah, that's very true. And it could have been getting progressively worse and just... Exactly. I mean, I just saw my Facebook memories one of these days, um, a friend that died a few years ago, and his girlfriend didn't do drugs, and they were living together. And I guess we all assumed that, you know, since they were together all the time, that he wasn't using drugs, and she didn't know he was using drugs, and he was in a car accident because he was high. Yeah, he probably was high so much that she thought it was just him. Yeah, and I mean, none of us, I mean, nobody knew, you know? No, not a single person. And that's crazy, because usually I feel like... If you're addicted like that, like... Yeah, and you think of someone who's, like, addicted to heroin, they're always, like, falling asleep or something. Well, especially if you're dating somebody who doesn't do drugs and, like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's heartbreaking. Uh, According to the 2013 book Running with Monsters, it was written by Phoenix's friend Bob Forrest, River had spent the previous days on a massive drug binge with Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist John Frusciante. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call him John F. Good idea. John F. He said, no, um, I'm sorry, in the, in the book, Bob said, River stayed with John for the next few days and probably didn't get a minute of sleep. The drug routine stayed pretty consistent for all of us. First, smoke crack or shoot coke directly into a vein for that 90-second electric brain belging for that 90-second electric brain bell jangle, then shoot heroin to get a grip and come down enough to be able to carry on a conversation for a few minutes before you start the cycle again. Oh, wow. That yeah, is... that's intense. Yeah, very much so. So regardless, he was using heroin and cocaine sometimes. And it's one thing if you use those drugs and combine them all the time, but when you start and stop using them all the time, like you start and stop and start and stop, there's 
really no way to know where your tolerance is, and that just makes overdosing all the more likely. Yeah, I can definitely see that. From what many people believe, River had been more or less clean for the last few months of his life. In fact, Samantha Mathis says that he didn't use drugs at all while they were together. But I will note that Samantha Mathis has changed details about her account of the night in question throughout the years, so take that as you will. On October 30th, 1993, River was, River was working on the last film he would appear in. It was called Dark Blood. Interestingly, his father warned him not to do the movie. Apparently, his father, John, had been living on a farm in Costa Rica at this point, and he flew in to urge River to take a break from the movies and go spend some time in Costa Rica with him. Apparently, this was super unusual. I guess John hadn't been in touch with the family lately, and he had no interest in River's career, so River and his friends thought it was pretty shocking. Nonetheless, River did the movie. One of the reasons was that he really, really wanted to work with the actress Judy Davis. Judy Davis is an Australian actress who is held in very high regard. She's done tons of movies. She's got like a billion awards. She's internationally famous. Apparently, she's also a raging bitch. By all accounts, Judy Davis was difficult to work with on the set of Dark Blood, but more specifically, she was making River's life on set a living hell. So he was excited to work with her, and then and she was a huge bitch. Yeah. Oh, and I wonder if when he went to visit his dad, if his dad could tell that he was like in a dark place. Me too. I wonder that too. If there was a reason that his dad really, I I wonder what compelled his dad to come visit him. Honestly, when he hadn't checked up on him in a long time. Yeah. The director George Slauser recalls how Judy Davis was always whispering things under her breath, like making complaints about River. And before long, the side of Judy was making River's skin crawl. River was known to be exceptionally sensitive. Those close to him recall him suffering during the next seven weeks of filming that movie, saying that he would sometimes call his friends in tears. Oh, that's horrible. I know. The director, um, the director George, said that River asked if they could save the love scenes for last because he just didn't feel like touching and kissing Judy because she played his love interest. Oh. It's like going to work with people you hate. I know, but you have to you have to make out with them and like <laughs> pretend to be in love with them. You know, you have to like touch them and shit. <laughs> Worst. I know. Ever. Um, it's literally going to work. You know, <laughs> and having to do this, be pimped out and shit. <laughs> According to George, River appeared not to be on drugs during the filming. However, on the day of October thirtieth, he kind of stumbled in looking rough, and it was clear to him that River had been using drugs the night before. That's just George's account. And was this, like, towards the end of filming? Yes. He was it's almost over. You probably have to get really fucked up before you have to make out with Judy. Uh, you know what? I would not be surprised if he was just, like, he could not bear to do it this day. That's like hookers who get hooked on drugs. Oh, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> so that day they filmed a scene between River and Judy, and it's a scene in the movie where they're in a room full of candles. They're, like, holding each other, and they're all, like, smoochy, and the director yells, Cut! And Judy, like, instantly pulls back and, like, walks off set. And the lights go down, and the crew starts moving around, and for some reason, River just stands there, not moving from his place. And the lights went off, and the candles stayed lit in the background, and you can just see, like, River's silhouette. And so he's just, like, this spooky, like, dark figure in front of these candles. And he reportedly turned to the camera and just started, like, slowly walking towards it. Like, you just see this shadow walking towards the camera. And that's when the crew member saw him and noticed the camera was on and it was still recording and he went and turned it off. 
A couple days after River died, they saw the footage and they realized that the spooky clip of River walking towards the camera is the last ever recorded clip of him. Oh, wow. Isn't that fucking creepy? That is. I wonder why he just sat there. Do you have a boner? I I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm pretty sure they couldn't finish the movie without him and they had to use like voiceovers of him. So and, like, a body double. Like, they, I mean, it was, like, almost done. It was just, like, a, a scene or two. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I think they, like, considered having Joaquin, like, be his body double or something. But anyway, um, after a difficult day of filming, River went back to his hotel room where he decided to let loose with his friends. And his siblings, Joaquin and Rain, they had just come into town to visit. So he was looking forward to hanging out with them. Now, this next part is where the stories start to split. What we know is that River and his girlfriend, Samantha, were going to hang out with Joaquin and Rain at the Viper Room. The Viper Room was a nightclub on the Sunset Strip that was partly owned by Johnny Depp. They would have performances there, and that night, Johnny Depp's band was supposed to play along with Flea and John F. from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Gibby Haynes of the Butthole Surfers, and Al Jurgensen of Ministry and Johnny Depp. I had no idea Johnny Depp was in a band, or had a band. I didn't either. I think I knew that he played guitar because I've seen him in, like, something playing it. Right. But same with River Phoenix. I didn't really know that he had a band and everything. Yeah, and that's funny because you also think about, like, Mark Wahlberg. I know. I always forget. I always forget that one. Or, like, fucking Will Smith. (laughs) So we know the four of them were hanging out at the club, but while some accounts say that they all went together, some accounts say that River actually arrived at the club with John F. from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and they were both really fucked up when they got there. People said that River was clearly, like, unsteady, like he was on something. So one of the witnesses who said that was Bob Forrest, he was the one that wrote the book I I mentioned earlier. He was a musician and a friend of River's, and he was at the Viper Room that night. Some other accounts say that Samantha, Joaquin, and Rain wanted to go out to the Viper Club, but River didn't want to, and they ended up kind of dragging him there. Samantha's account says that she didn't want to go, and she had a bad feeling about it, and River actually convinced her to go. Then there's another account that says that he was invited to play a set at the Viper Room with Johnny Depp's band. River was good friends with Flea, the guitarist of Red Hot Chili Peppers, so it's possible that Flea invited him to play the set, possibly with the rest of the band. As soon as they all got to the club, cocaine was being passed around. Some accounts contradict Bob Forrest, saying that River was actually avoiding, uh, saying that River was actually avoiding drugs that night in preparation for playing with the band. Hmm. So. With all these people, it's not clear who he even came with. That's what's so weird to me. Like, I I read, like, two or three different sources, and they were pretty good sources saying that they all arrived together. But then there's others saying, like, this guy Bob Forrest says that he was there and that River came with John. And then it, Samantha is saying that Samantha went with River? Almost like both. Yeah. Yeah, she's saying that he drug her there. But Samantha's the one that lied a few times. She's changed her story a few times. So I don't know. So yeah, River was kind of avoiding doing drugs, and it seems like he was excited to play with the band. But then somebody informed him that he was not going to be able to play. Some reports say that there were just too many musicians that night, and there was no space for him, and Flea might have been the one to give him the bad news. There are some people, however, who believe that Johnny Depp personally told him that he couldn't play. And it's funny, I listen to this podcast, I, I don't necessarily know if I agree with it but he seemed this guy seems to believe that Johnny Depp had something against um against River Phoenix because they were like the same age and going for the same roles and I guess River was um chosen for a role that like could have been Johnny's and I guess River was also working in a movie with Johnny Depp's girlfriend or something oh 
and just shit like that. People were like, you know, well, this guy was, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a lot of speculation, but yeah, and I don't it's one belief out there. Them personally, but I just feel like Tony Depp's a really nice guy. <laughs> I feel like everybody, we all want to believe that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we. I, I want to believe that they're all friends. You know, they all liked each other, and he couldn't play just because there wasn't enough room for him, you yeah, know? Sorry, <laughs> Not because, yeah, exactly. And the other thing about this is that even celebrities can all have crazy theories, and by the looks of it, like, 80% of these guys were on drugs, you know? Yeah. And that that makes it so much more difficult when they're, like, yeah, there's all, all these eyewitness accounts. There's literally, like, like, a hundred people, at least, in this club, right. you know? And everybody's on drugs, and, like, it's popping. There's a band playing and shit. Yeah. And, and there's and multiple like, celebrities, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. And they'd be like, no, he walked in with so-and-so and they're like he could have walked in and said hi to john f and people were like they both looked like they were on drugs together you know yeah i don't know so regardless river wasn't able to play with the band and that really hurt he was really looking forward to playing with his buddy flea and at that point he kind of felt singled out and left out so now that he wasn't going to be playing anymore he started looking for drugs some say that he went to the bathroom and did a speedball which is a combination of cocaine and heroin I said thanks for that because I have no idea what it's Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's cocaine and heroin, and he instantly started feeling sick. But another account, and this has been said by some eyewitnesses, is that River was given a drink immediately before he started feeling sick. Hmm. According to William Richard, who is a really close friend of his, and he was at the club, he says that Samantha Mathis told him that John F. approached their table and gave River a little plastic blue cup and said, Drink this, Riv. It'll make you feel fabulous. River drank it right down and suffered an immediate reaction. His neck bulged, his back twitched, and he complained, Something's wrong. He then vomited at the table. He then said to John, What did you give me? William Richard goes on to say that Mathis later changed her story, uh, because she was the one that told him all this was her account, supposedly. Wow. River was in pretty bad shape. He was sweaty and pale. And what happened next, well, this is Samantha's account. She went to the bathroom, and she says, I knew he was high that night, but the heroin that killed him didn't happen until he was in the Viper room. I have my suspicions about what was going on, but I didn't see anything. So, I don't know. She's really, uh, like, I don't know. She's uh, she's not a good witness. She's like, I didn't see anything. And then she tells a whole story, and she's like, no, that didn't happen. So... According to Mathis, when she came out of the bathroom, she saw what she thought was River in a scuffle with another man, and she believes she saw the two of them being pushed out of the club side door by a bouncer. When she went out on the street to find them, she saw that River fell to the ground and started convulsing on the pavement. Thankfully, this was before the paparazzi had noticed, so nobody took any photos of this, but it also meant that nobody was around to help. Was he seizing? Yes, that's why I said convulsing. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, um, and I don't know. I, was, I feel like Samantha, she she has no good information, but she likes to talk about it. She says, what have you done? What are you on? And she shouted this to the guy who supposedly he was fighting. And she's, oh, and the guy supposedly said, leave him alone. You're spoiling his high. So, I don't know if she's just making shit up to throw blame at other people now, you know? Because first there was a cup, and I don't know. Well, I do know from a, a person that I unfortunately used to live with, she told me she was um, a heroin addict. And she said that when somebody was overdosing, like, 
they wanted to know where they got their heroin. They were like, we're not, we don't help each other. Like, we just want to know where you got it so we can get some too. So maybe that, that did happen. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So Samantha, according to her, she desperately tried to get back into the club to get help, but the side door was firmly shut. So she ran around to the main door and searched through the club for River's siblings, and they all ran outside. By the way, Johnny Depp, Flea, John F., and the whole band are on stage playing a song at this exact time. So River, at this point, he's, like, having a seizure on the side of the street, and now people are starting to, like, gather around and watch him. And they're just, like, watching this famous person on the ground clearly in need of help. And five minutes went by without anybody calling the police. And then Joaquin finally was the one to snap into action and call 911. And by the way, Joaquin was underage. He was only 19 while this was happening. Oh, and you know what? I thought that he wasn't there. I thought he didn't want to go. Or no, it was... All the fucking stories. Yeah, exactly. So one of the stories was that River and Joaquin wanted to go. Because remember, they were just visiting from out of town. So maybe they did want to go out, you know? Yeah. And I don't don't know. Whether Samantha wanted to or not is irrelevant. But I'm I'm sure whatever happened, like River wanted to hang out with his siblings, you know? Right. And he was supposedly invited to play with the band. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch of famous people there. And they're his buddies, you know? Like, he's probably always wanted to jam with them. So this phone call to 911 would almost immediately be leaked to news stations. breathing got really shallow by the time paramedics got there there was no longer he was no longer breathing and had no pulse oh. river was pronounced dead at the hospital he died from an overdose of cocaine and heroin on october 31st so what was in that drink okay yeah. so so hang on okay <laughs> it was found that he didn't have any recent track marks so they determined that he couldn't have injected the drugs on that night So that's why a lot of people believe that he snorted cocaine and heroin in the bathroom. And while it's not super duper common, it is possible to snort heroin. And some people do do that, but it's very potent and it's really easy to misjudge your dosage and risk overdosing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's not really that common. um, And it's really easy to overdose that way. Yeah, and I have no idea what heroin looks like, but um, I always thought... Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Yes. I, I'm pretty sure that's what happens. I haven't seen it in a long time, but somebody dies because they're told that they're snorting cocaine and it's actually heroin. Oh. You remember? We gotta watch that movie. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Somebody's gonna come at me like, what What do you mean? <laughs> you don't remember? <laughs> I'm like the worst with memories of movies and things. Same. I'm like, yeah, that probably happened. I don't remember. Same here. So another thing that's interesting is from what we've heard, it sounds like River made have, may have had a habit of shooting up heroin and snorting coke and maybe smoking meth. But snorting heroin wasn't really a usual way of using for him from what we know. But it is possible that it was just easier because they were at the club that snorting is something you can do right then and there when maybe he didn't have the equipment to inject. Right. 
like quickly in the bathroom get back to exactly if we think about the account that he was given a drink it's believed that he was given a drink with heroin and cocaine and that's why he got sick like instantly after drinking it well if he went in the bathroom and did it and well drank the drink. and that's the thing that's one account that he went to the bathroom. And then there's another. So some people believe. That's why Samantha points out that she was he was given the heroin when he got there. Because other people believe like well maybe he was using drugs before he got there. And just going to the bathroom. That was just a little too much or something. Yeah. yeah. So the whole theory of him drinking heroin and cocaine. There's reasons why it could and couldn't have happened. Ingesting heroin and cocaine in a drink form isn't a common thing people do. From what I've read, some people would call it a waste of drugs, and supposedly it hits your body a lot slower than injecting it would. So if that were the case, he wouldn't have died so quickly. Hmm. However, he allegedly had eight times the lethal amount of drugs. And I feel like him using eight times the lethal amount in the bathroom by himself is a lot at once. Yeah, that, yeah. You know? So I feel like it would be easier to overdose with a drink like that and, like, have somebody chug it. But I really don't know shit about how those things are ingested or how long it takes, you know? Yeah, and I mean, what kind of reaction would your body have with it going into your stomach, especially if you've never ingested it before? I know. I have no idea. So that could be why he, like, instantly got sick. Yeah. Oh, anyway. Um, so just for a second, just to examine an argument, let's say that John really gave River the drink. You have to wonder, did John know what was in the drink? Because he told River it would make him feel fabulous, so it seems like he did. It's possible he even told River what was in it, and maybe River agreed to drink it. Except Samantha's account says that River asked him, what did you give me? Some believe that maybe John made the drink for himself, because he also got sick and threw up that night. When River went looking for drugs, maybe John was like, hey, take this. After he threw up, he was like, you can have it. Yeah. And because John was also a really heavy user, like, maybe John had a slightly higher tolerance, you know, and was able to handle it. Right. So, I wonder if the guy that he was supposedly arguing with was, or fighting with, was John. No, because John was on stage playing with the band. Oh. Yeah. So then, maybe somebody else knew what was in the drink and River was pissed and was like, why the fuck did you... I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, we're just speculating. (laughs) That's all you can do at this point, really. Yeah. And maybe John didn't even know the amount that was, or maybe John didn't know that the amount in the cup was actually lethal. Because John was a heavy drug user, maybe he thought that River could handle it because they had just been on this drug binge recently. But River was an on and off user. Yeah. While John was not. So maybe John really did think he could handle it, you know, because he could. Right. Do you know the timeline from when they got there to when he, like, started convulsing slash having a seizure? Uh-uh. I'm not sure. No. But it doesn't seem like it was very long. The other thing is maybe the amount that was in the cup wasn't lethal, but maybe River did go to the bathroom and use some drugs and then drink the drink. Right. And, and then that was lethal. And high before. Exactly. You know? And then he was like, man, this is just way too much. It's just, it's so hard to know, you know, with yeah. everybody's different stories of whether or not he had been using that night. And, like, some did say that he arrived there fucked up, so <laughs> you... It's hard to say. It really is hard to say. And it's really hard to say how high his tolerance was. Like, there's no way of knowing, even for himself. I, like, 
I try to find out and everybody and their mama has their own version. So here we are listening to everybody's perspective. Absolutely yeah. everybody's. <laughs> Some people go as far as to wonder if somebody else mixed the drink and sent John to give it to River. The guy he was fighting with. <laughs> or Johnny Depp. That's my fear. Some <gasps> people believe that uh, Johnny Depp was like, give this to River. That but I doubt it. <laughs> I just want to say it because right? it's a theory that's out there, but I, I think it's comical. We love you, Johnny Depp. <laughs> um, there's something interesting that William Richard said. In, her, in an interview, he talks about how he spoke to River just a few days before he died. No, in fact, he's yelling about it in this video. He's got, like, a camera crew around him, and he's just, like, yelling, expressing disdain for the mystery about River's death. I'm going to link it to the website. But he starts going off about how his brother and sister, Joaquin and Rain, didn't act appropriately. He says that Joaquin didn't tell the paramedics that River was overdosing. He just told them that he was seizing. William is pissed about that because he thinks that they could have injected him with something that would have saved him life, that would have saved his life if they had known that it was an overdose. So he thinks that they were too scared to say that he was overdosing? Or yeah, that they were, I don't know if maybe they were like, if he's saying that they were like neglecting to, I mean, but they were, they were young and they were panicked and stuff, but yeah. I, and I mean, it sounds the, like he's angry though. So it sounds like maybe he witnessed something and I don't know. He was there too. I don't know. Right. So, it's just blaming. You, like, I, I don't want to say victim blaming, but what is it? Like, when you just try to find someone yeah, to blame. Yeah, exactly. He probably is carrying a lot of guilt himself for being there. But, like, and I don't know why Joaquin, Joaquin didn't mention it, but I want to assume that it's just because he was panicked and wasn't thinking. You know, yeah. he's just like, get over here and save him. Right, because he was, like, freaking out. Yeah, he's super he's, emotional. Yeah. He's fucking 19, you know? Like, right. I doubt he's... Like and somehow compliant he was in this. to say it because he's he didn't want to get him in trouble. Yeah. yeah, that's probably. I kind of have a feeling that the reason why there's so many different stories and a lot of people didn't come mm-hmm. out with the truth is because of their name. Like they don't want to be known for like that too. But I also have to wonder if somebody blackmailed other people. You know, like that whole changing story thing is like, nope, you got to change that. With you can't Samantha. say that anymore. Yeah, she's like too scared to say what actually mm-hmm. happened. It is interesting though that William was super close with River and he's super suspicious about about it so i have to wonder why like if there's something else that he hasn't said that we don't know because he's fucking angry i'll show you this video later river phoenix's father john was actually pissed at john f over the the death of his son really why he blamed john f from the red hot chili peppers um unclear you know we can speculate but in an interview he said if i find him i'm going to kill him he's very rich and very young 23 like River, but he's a terrible addict who's become a pusher. The so he thinks, like, really bad peer pressure. I mean, they were on a drug binge the days before, so regardless, maybe he's just, like, somehow he's involved. The family never pressed charges against anybody for, for River's death, though. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Joaquin Phoenix won Best Actor for the 92nd Academy Awards, and he uh, he honored his brother in a speech, saying, When he was 17, my brother River wrote this lyric. He said, run to the rescue with love and peace will follow. Joaquin and his wife, Rooney Mara, named their son River after him. Oh. William Richard also named his son River. What breaks my heart is the most is that he spent his whole life under so much pressure. Pressure to support his family when they were living on the road and then when he became famous. He felt the pressure to keep up their lifestyle and to support not only the family, but to pay for all the staff so that everybody could continue living like this. Yeah. 
He never even got the opportunity to do his music like he so passionately wanted to. He spent his whole life working for other people, playing roles, and worrying about getting his siblings fed and off to college. By all accounts, River Phoenix was a wonderful human being and an amazing big brother. This story is truly tragic, and I wish we could see what kind of person he would have become if he had survived, how strong of an actor and a musician he would have been today. I know. I bet he would have been great. Especially, like, seeing how great Joaquin Phoenix grew up, like, talented, and I feel like that has a lot to say with, like, their support system, like we said. Like, his, I mean, yeah, they got, they were put in Hollywood at a young age, but it seems like, you know, they grew up with a really loving family and a lot of support. Yeah. Yep, a lot of trials and tribulations, but <sighs> so sad. Yep. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Summer, for coming and being a guest on today's episode. Maybe we can do this again in the future. That sounds good. You're welcome. I was so glad to be here. Real quick, I just want to give a quick shout out to Kaylee Franks, Crystal Beecher, Brinkley Schubert, Haley Nicole, Abigail Taylor, Amanda Kraft and Tanya Flores. Thank you all so much for the positive reviews and the donations and all the support you've given me throughout my podcast so far. Don't forget, you can always check out BrokenLimelight.com for details on our episodes. You can also find Broken Limelight on Patreon now, and there you will get exclusive bonus episodes that are completely ad-free, as well as other exclusive content. Thanks again for listening. Happy Halloween! Today's episode is brought to you by Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer is a monthly mystery subscription box that's truly one of a kind. It's basically like a true crime case in a box. It comes with case files, codes to decipher, detailed backgrounds about the suspects and the victims. There's evidence for you to evaluate. It tells an immersive story of a whole crime case from beginning to end. It's kind of like an escape room in a box. You can do this by yourself, or you can team up with a buddy, or you can do it for like a game night or even a date night. You can take a little break from technology and immerse yourself fully into this box. Or if you prefer to be a more high-tech investigator, you can join online communities and talk to other Hunt a Killer players about clues and stuff. Hunt a Killer also shares part of the proceeds to the Cold Case Foundation, so your purchase actually helps with real-life cold cases. The best news is that Broken Limelight listeners get 20% off of their first subscription box. So go get started now at huntakiller.com and don't forget to use the code BROKENLIMELIGHT to get your 20% off. That's Broken Limelight, all one word.